Section 15 of White Knights and Other Stories by Fyodor Dostoevsky. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Notes from Underground by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Translated from the Russian by Constance Garnett. Part 2. Apropos of the Wet Snow. Chapter 8 it was some time however before i consented to recognize that truth waking up in the morning after some hours of heavy leaden sleep and immediately realizing all that had happened on the previous day i was positively amazed at my last night's sentimentality with liza at all those outcries of horror and pity to think of having such an attack of womanish hysteria pa i concluded and what did I thrust my address upon her for? What if she comes? Let her come, though. It doesn't matter. But obviously that was not now the chief and most important matter. I had to make haste, and at all costs, save my reputation in the eyes of Zverkov and Simonov as quickly as possible. That was the chief business. And I was so taken up that morning that I actually forgot all about Liza. First of all, I had at once to repay what I had borrowed the day before from Simonov. I resolved on a desperate measure, to borrow fifteen roubles straight off from Anton Antonitch. As luck would have it, he was in the best of humors that morning, and gave it to me at once, on the first asking. I was so delighted at this, that as I signed the I.O.U. with a swaggering air, I told him casually that the night before I had been keeping it up with some friends at the Hotel de Paris, we were giving a farewell party to a comrade, in fact, I might say a friend of my childhood, and you know, a desperate rake, fearfully spoilt, of course he belongs to a good family, and has considerable means, a brilliant career, he is witty, charming, a regular lovelace, you understand. We drank an extra half-dozen, and... And it went off all right. All this was uttered very easily, unconstrainedly, and complacently. On reaching home, I promptly wrote to Simonov. To this hour, I am lost in admiration when I recall the truly gentlemanly, good-humored, candid tone of my letter. With tact and good breeding, and above all, entirely without superfluous words, I blamed myself for all that had happened. I defended myself, if I really may be allowed to defend myself, by alleging that being utterly unaccustomed to wine, I had been intoxicated with the first glass, which I said I had drunk before they arrived, while I was waiting for them at the Hotel de Paris, between five and six o'clock. I begged Simonov's pardon, especially. I asked him to convey my explanations to all the others, especially to Zverkov, whom I seemed to remember as though in a dream I had insulted. I added that I would have called upon all of them myself, but my head ached, and besides, I had not the face to. I was particularly pleased with a certain lightness, almost carelessness, strictly within the bounds of politeness, however, which was apparent in my style, and better than any possible arguments, gave them at once to understand that I took rather an independent view of all that unpleasantness last night, that I was by no means so utterly crushed as you, my friends, probably imagine, but on the contrary, looked upon it as a gentleman serenely respecting himself should look upon it. On a young hero's past, 
no censure is cast. There is actually an aristocratic playfulness about it, I thought admiringly, as I read over the letter, and it's all because I am an intellectual and cultivated man. Another man in my place would not have known how to extricate himself, but here I have got out of it and am as jolly as ever again, and all because I am a cultivated and educated man of our day. And indeed, perhaps everything was due to the wine yesterday. Hmm. No, it was not the wine. I did not drink anything at all between five and six, when I was waiting for them. I had lied to Simonov. I had lied shamelessly. And indeed, I wasn't ashamed now. Hang it all, though. The great thing was that I was rid of it. I put six roubles in the letter, sealed it up, and asked Apollon to take it to Simonov. When he learned that there was money in the letter, Apollon became more respectful and agreed to take it. Towards evening, I went out for a walk. My head was still aching and giddy after yesterday. But as evening came on and the twilight grew denser, my impressions, and following them, my thoughts, grew more and more different and confused. Something was not dead within me. In the depths of my heart and conscience, it would not die and it showed itself in acute depression. For the most part, I jostled my way through the most crowded business streets, along Myaschansky Street, along Sadovy Street, and in Yusupov Garden. I always liked particularly sauntering along these streets in the dusk, just when there were crowds of working people of all sorts, going home from their daily work, with faces looking cross with anxiety. What I liked was just that cheap bustle, that bare prose. On this occasion the jostling of the streets irritated me more than ever. I could not make out what was wrong with me. I could not find the clue. Something seemed rising up continually in my soul, painfully, and refusing to be appeased. I returned home completely upset. It was just as though some crime were lying on my conscience. The thought that Liza was coming worried me continually. It seemed queer to me that of all my recollections of yesterday, this tormented me, as it were, especially, as it were, quite separately. Everything else I had quite succeeded in forgetting by the evening. I dismissed it all, and was still perfectly satisfied with my letter to Simonov. But on this point I was not satisfied at all. It was as though I were worried only by Liza. What if she comes, I thought incessantly. Well, it doesn't matter. Let her come. Hmm. It's horrid that she should see, for instance, how I live. Yesterday I seemed such a hero to her, while now, hmm. It's horrid, though, that I have let myself go so. The room looks like a beggar's, and I brought myself to go out to dinner in such a suit, and my American leather sofa with the stuffing sticking out, and my dressing gown, which will not cover me, such tatters, and she will see all this, and she will see Apollon. That beast is certain to insult her. He will fasten upon her in order to be rude to me. And I, of course, shall be panic-stricken as usual. I shall begin bowing and scraping before her, and pulling my dressing-gown round me. I shall begin smiling, telling lies. Oh, the beastliness! And it isn't the beastliness of it that matters most. There is something more important, more loathsome, Viler, yes, Viler, and to put on that dishonest lying mask again. 
When I reached that thought, I fired up all at once. Why dishonest? How dishonest? I was speaking sincerely last night. I remember there was real feeling in me, too. What I wanted was to excite an honorable feeling in her. Her crying was a good thing. It will have a good effect. Yet I could not feel at ease. All that evening, even when I had come back home, even after nine o'clock, when I calculated that Liza could not possibly come, still she haunted me. And what was worse, she came back to my mind always in the same position. One moment, out of all that had happened last night, stood vividly before my imagination. The moment when I struck a match and saw her pale, distorted face with its look of torture, and what a pitiful, what an unnatural, what a distorted smile she had at that moment. But I did not know then that fifteen years later I should still, in my imagination, see Liza, always with that pitiful, distorted, inappropriate smile which was on her face at that minute. Next day I was ready again to look upon it all as nonsense, due to overexcited nerves, and above all, as exaggerated. I was always conscious of that weak point of mine, and sometimes very much afraid of it. I exaggerate everything. That is where I go wrong, I repeated to myself every hour. But, however, Liza will very likely come all the same, was the refrain with which all my reflections ended. I was so uneasy that I sometimes flew into a fury. She'll come. She is certain to come, I cried, running about the room. If not today, she will come tomorrow. She'll find me out. The damnable romanticism of these pure hearts. Oh, the vileness. Oh, the silliness. Oh, the stupidity of these wretched sentimental souls. Why, how fail to understand? How could one fail to understand? But at this point I stopped short, and in great confusion indeed. And how few, how few words, I thought in passing, were needed. How little of the idyllic, and affectedly bookishly, artificially idyllic too, had sufficed to turn a whole human life at once according to my will. That's virginity, to be sure. Freshness of soil. At times a thought occurred to me to go to her to tell her all, and beg her not to come to me. But this thought stirred such wrath in me that I believed I should have crushed that damned Liza if she had chanced to be near me at the time. I should have insulted her, have spat at her, have turned her out, have struck her. One day passed, however, another, and another. She did not come, and I began to grow calmer. I felt particularly bold and cheerful after nine o'clock. I even sometimes began dreaming and rather sweetly. I, for instance, became the salvation of Liza, simply through her coming to me and my talking to her. I develop her, educate her. Finally, I notice that she loves me, loves me passionately. I pretend not to understand. I don't know, however, why I pretend, just for effect, perhaps. At last, all confusion, transfigured, trembling and sobbing, she flings herself at my feet and says that I am her savior and that she loves me better than anything in the world. I am amazed, but, Liza, I say, can you imagine that I have not noticed your love? I saw it all. 
I divined it. But I did not dare to approach you first, because I had an influence over you, and was afraid that you would force yourself, from gratitude to respond to my love, would try to rouse in your heart a feeling which was perhaps absent. And I did not wish that, because it would be tyranny, it would be indelicate. In short, I launch off at that point into European, inexplicably lofty subtleties a la George Sand. But now, now you are mine. You are my creation. You are pure. You are good. You are my noble wife. Into my house come bold and free. Its rightful mistress there to be. Then we begin living together, go abroad, and so on, and so on. In fact, in the end, it seemed vulgar to me myself, and I began putting out my tongue at myself. Besides, they won't let her out, the hussy, I thought. They don't let them go out very readily, especially in the evening. For some reason, I fancied she would come in the evening, and at seven o'clock precisely. Though she did say she was not altogether a slave there yet, and had certain rights. So, hmm damn it all she will come she is sure to come it was a good thing in fact that apollon distracted my attention at that time by his rudeness he drove me beyond all patience he was the bane of my life the curse laid upon me by providence we had been squabbling continually for years and i hated him my god how i hated him i believe i had never hated anyone in my life as i hated him especially at some moments he was an elderly, dignified man who worked part of his time as a tailor, but for some unknown reason he despised me beyond all measure, and looked down upon me insufferably, though indeed he looked down upon everyone. Simply to glance at that flaxen, smoothly brushed head, at the tuft of hair he combed up on his forehead, and oiled with sunflower oil, at that dignified mouth, compressed into the shape of the letter V, made one feel one was confronting a man who never doubted of himself. He was a pedant to the most extreme point, the greatest pedant I had met on earth, and with that had a vanity only befitting Alexander of Macedon. He was in love with every button on his coat, every nail on his fingers, absolutely in love with them, and he looked it. In his behavior to me he was a perfect tyrant. He spoke very little to me, and if he chanced to glance at me, he gave me a firm, majestically self-confident, and invariably ironical look that drove me sometimes to fury. He did his work with the air of doing me the greatest favor, though he did scarcely anything for me, and did not, indeed, consider himself bound to do anything. There could be no doubt that he looked upon me as the greatest fool on earth, and that he did not get rid of me was simply that he could get wages from me every month. He consented to do nothing for me for seven roubles a month. Many sins should be forgiven me for what I suffered from him. My hatred reached such a point that sometimes his very step almost threw me into convulsions. What I loathed particularly was his lisp. His tongue must have been a little too long, or something of that sort, for he continually lisped, and seemed to be very proud of it imagining that it greatly added to his dignity he spoke in a slow measured tone with his hands behind his back and his eyes fixed on the ground he maddened me particularly 
when he read aloud the psalms to himself behind his partition many a battle i waged over that reading but he was awfully fond of reading aloud in the evenings in a slow even sing-song voice as though over the dead it is interesting that that is how he has ended he hires himself out to read the psalms over the dead and at the same time he kills rats and makes blacking but at that time i could not get rid of him it was as though he were chemically combined with my existence besides nothing would have induced him to consent to leave me i could not live in furnished lodgings my lodging was my private solitude my shell my cave in which i concealed myself from all mankind and apollon seemed to me for some reason an integral part of that flat and for seven years i could not turn him away to be two or three days behind with his wages for instance was impossible he would have made such a fuss i should not have known where to hide my head but i was so exasperated with every one during those days that i made up my mind for some reason and with some object to punish apollon and not pay him for a fortnight the wages that were owing him i had for a long time for the last two years been intending to do this simply in order to teach him not to give himself airs with me and to show him that if i liked i could withhold his wages i purposed to say nothing to him about it and was purposely silent indeed in order to score off his pride and force him to be the first to speak of his wages then i would take the seven roubles out of a drawer show him i have the money put aside on purpose but that i won't i won't i simply won't pay him his wages i won't just because that is what i wish because i am master and it is for me to decide because he has been disrespectful because he has been rude but if he were to ask respectfully i might be softened and give it to him otherwise he might wait another fortnight another three weeks a whole month but angry as i was yet he got the better of me i could not hold out for four days he began as he always did begin in such cases for there had been such cases already there had been attempts and it may be observed i knew all this beforehand i knew his nasty tactics by heart he would begin by fixing upon me an exceedingly severe stare keeping it up for several minutes at a time particularly on meeting me or seeing me out of the house if i held out and pretended not to notice these stares he would still in silence proceed to further tortures all at once apropos of nothing he would walk softly and smoothly into my room when i was pacing up and down or reading stand at the door one hand behind his back and one foot behind the other and fix upon me a stare more than severe utterly contemptuous if i suddenly asked him what he wanted he would make me no answer but continue staring at me persistently for some seconds then with a peculiar compression of his lips and a most significant air deliberately turn round and deliberately go back to his room two hours later he would come out again and again present himself before me in the same way it had happened that in my fury i did not even ask him what he wanted but simply raised my head sharply and imperiously and began staring back at him so we stared at one another for two minutes at last he turned with deliberation and dignity and went back again for two hours if i were still not brought to reason by all this 
but persisted in my revolt he would suddenly begin sighing while he looked at me long deep sighs as though measuring by them the depths of my moral degradation and of course it ended at last by his triumphing completely i raged and shouted but still was forced to do what he wanted this time the usual staring maneuvers had scarcely begun when i lost my temper and flew at him in a fury i was irritated beyond endurance apart from him stay i cried in a frenzy as he was slowly and silently turning with one hand behind his back to go to his room stay come back come back i tell you and i must have bawled so unnaturally that he turned round and even looked at me with some wonder however he persisted in saying nothing and that infuriated me how dare you come and look at me like that without being sent for answer after looking at me calmly for half a minute he began turning round again stay i roared running up to him don't stir there answer now what did you come in to look at if you have any order to give me it's my duty to carry it out he answered after another silent pause with a slow measured lisp raising his eyebrows and calmly twisting his head from one side to another all this with exasperating composure that's not what i'm asking you about you torturer i shouted turning crimson with anger i'll tell you why you came here myself you see i don't give you your wages you are so proud you don't want to bow down and ask for it and so you come to punish me with your stupid stares to worry me and you have no suspicion how stupid it is stupid 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 he would have turned round again without a word but i seized him listen i shouted to him here's the money do you see here it is i took it out of the table drawer here's the seven roubles complete but you are not going to have it you are not going to have it until you come respectfully with bowed head to beg my pardon do you hear that cannot be he answered with the most unnatural self-confidence it shall be so i said i give you my word of honor it shall be and there's nothing for me to beg your pardon for he went on as though he had not noticed my exclamations at all why besides you call me a torturer for which i can summon you at the police station at any time for insulting behavior go summon me i roared go at once this very minute this very second you are a torturer all the same a torturer but he merely looked at me then turned and regardless of my loud calls to him he walked to his room with an even step and without looking round if it had not been for liza nothing of this would have happened i decided inwardly then after waiting a minute i went myself behind his screen with a dignified and solemn air though my heart was beating slowly and violently apollon i said quietly and emphatically though i was breathless go at once without a minute's delay and fetch the police officer he had meanwhile settled himself at his table put on his spectacles and taken up some sewing but hearing my order he burst into a guffaw at once go this minute go on or else you can't imagine what will happen you are certainly out of your mind he observed without even raising his head lisping as deliberately as ever and threading his needle who ever heard of a man sending for the police against himself 
and as for being frightened you are upsetting yourself about nothing for nothing will come of it go i shrieked clutching him by the shoulder i felt i should strike him in a minute but i did not notice the door from the passage softly and slowly open at that instant and a figure come in stop short and begin staring at us in perplexity i glanced nearly swooned with shame and rushed back to my room there clutching at my hair with both hands i leaned my head against the wall and stood motionless in that position two minutes later i heard apollon's deliberate footsteps there is some woman asking for you he said looking at me with peculiar severity then he stood aside and let in liza he would not go away but stared at us sarcastically go away go away i commanded in desperation at that moment my clock began whirring and wheezing and struck seven end of chapter eight